God is good. What is going on, everybody? How are you doing? This is Joe Irostic, your friendly neighborhood pastor, getting it on today. Share if you care, if you want some people to hang out and talk today. All right, so hopefully you got the chance to see that I was going live today, what, I will be, what I'll be talking about. I'll be talking about the difference between Christians who sin and sinners who live in sin. It's so like simple, right? But this seems to be the biggest issue we are facing right now in Christianity is this difference between Christians who sin and sinners who live in sin. This kind of goes back to what I was talking about when I was referring to people's church, allowing the message of inclusion to be given to their people to the point where a lesbian can actually think they are a Christian while practicing lesbianism. So go ahead and share if you care. We're going to be talking about this today. I want to really stay chill, okay? Because I notice when I get into teaching mode, I swipe up my Bible there and I start going through scripture so fast. I really want this to be chill. I want to be a millennial right now. I don't know if you know this, but I'm 41 years old, so I'm right at the breaking point of millennialism, depending on where you put it. Sometimes they say it's uh, 35, 36 years older uh, or younger. Uh, you know, it's uh, 77 is like in some stats that count 77, which I'm 77. Others of them start around uh, 80. So I'm like right at the border of millennial and I'm right at the end of Generation X. If you guys remember Generation X. Gen so I'm like the youngest of Generation X and the oldest of the millennials. And so our church is predominantly all millennials. And I've been noticing that when I do these videos, I'm not millennial enough. Like I'm not chill enough. Like I'm too, uh, probably not even Gen X enough. I'm probably like too baby boomer. I don't know. But I want to talk to you today. I want to go face to face with people on Facebook. And one of the reasons why I don't make it all about me and I put up the scriptures and I start teaching is because I'm not trying to have a talk show here, right? I'm trying to teach the Bible. And so the Bible is the most important thing I want to talk about. But I realize that when I do that, some people, they get lost in the scriptures after scripture and they don't follow the train of thought. So today I want to keep it really simple, just really super basic. And that is when a person becomes a Christian, should there be a difference in their sinning? Should there be a difference when you become a Christian and how you actually behave? Should you sin less after becoming a Christian? Now, we know the Bible says this, that we are saved not by your good works. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, John 3, 16, and a many plethora of passages that say we're saved by grace, not of works. It's by grace through faith, not of ourselves, so that no one can boast. Now, after you're saved, should there be a difference? So the question isn't, do you have to do good works to be saved? The question is, once you are saved, should good works follow? So I see some of you joining in right now. Go ahead and say hi if you would like a shout out. Uh, share if you care, because I think this is such a confusing topic to so many partially because the church today doesn't teach doctrine. If you notice most churches and the sermons that you'll find online, they're allegorical sermons. 
They'll start off with some Old Testament story, and then they'll put you in the place of that person in the story and say, that's you. And that's cool. We should see ourselves in the story. But you don't get any doctrine hearing that you're David fighting Goliath. You don't get any doctrine seeing yourself as the woman with the issue of blood every week you come to church or your dead Lazarus being raised up, getting a breakthrough. You have to go to the epistles and the actual red letters of Jesus teaching to get the doctrines of the Bible, okay? And I don't mean this in a cocky way, but we really lack good teaching now in the church. And so we're not used to hearing doctrine. We're just used to hearing stories and things that are there to make us feel good for the 30 minutes we're listening to the preacher. But if we take a moment to look at the Bible, do we see differences between those who are Christian and those who are sinners? Now, somebody may say, well, the difference is the Christian believes in Jesus and the sinner doesn't believe in Jesus. That's the only difference that matters. Now, I'll tell you, that is true in one sense. That is an important distinction, and it is the defining distinction between sinner and saint. Yes, true, period, no argument. But is that all that distinguishes the sinner from the saint is a profession of faith. No, the Bible actually says in Titus, and I'm going to try this right now. I'm going to actually say what the Bible says without swiping up the Bible, just so I can stay in contact with you guys a little bit more eye contact here. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1 that they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him and are disobedient, detestable, unfit for any good work. That's what the Bible teaches. So there is a distinct difference according to the Bible, and that's Titus, okay? That's Titus chapter 1, verse 16. There is a distinct difference between someone professing to know Jesus and actually keeping Jesus's commands and someone professing to know Jesus and not keeping his commands. Can we at least agree that there is a difference between those two? I see Elaine joining us here, giving you a shout out, Elaine. My dad's here. Good to see you guys. So if you want a shout out, go ahead and put your, your name up there or comment underneath the video. If you have questions, just stop me as we're going through this, and I'll make sure to get to them. I really want to make this more of a, a fireside chat right now, more of like a Bible study feel, a home group feel, because I feel like People don't understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about churches that are going off of the biblical doctrine of soteriology. It's a big word. Soteriology talks about soterios, salvation in the Greek. It's the study of logos and, and ology at the end is where we get the study of something. So the soteriological beliefs of churches today are very off from the Bible. They don't make a clear-cut distinction between sinners and saints. And I began to notice this. I've been a Christian over 20 years. I began to notice this about 15 years ago, that as I would hear the preaching, the preacher would say something like this. Maybe you're here today, and you're going through struggles, and God's going to get you through. And I'm like, amen. And then they would say, maybe you're sleeping with your girlfriend. And I'm like, well, that's not where I'm at, but maybe someone else is. And they'll say, and maybe you're having a struggle today with your finances. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's me. But you see, I noticed they started putting 
in lifestyle of sins into struggles with Christians having issues on their job, and they would mix them all up together. Now, we know Jesus is the answer for the person living in sin with their girlfriend and for the Christians struggling on their job, but they began to mix them up so that we didn't see really a difference because you're just all sinners, right? And Jesus is going to set you free. There's a problem with that because I shouldn't consider myself a Christian by the biblical standard if I'm not living according to the Word of God. There should be a unique difference between my struggles as a Christian and the non-Christian. First and foremost, I have a relationship. I have an indwelling with God. I have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and I have a conviction to live holy. The person that's not living for Jesus is not holy. They're not separated. They're not indwelt by the Spirit. I see Lewis joining us. Hey, what's going on? And good morning to you, good sir. I just want to make sure that we understand there is a difference, okay? So I'm waiting for a few more people to join us with some, some introduction stuff here, but it really discourages me as a pastor when I see that people keep saying we're all sinners every time we talk about living for Jesus and not continuing in sin. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus told the woman who was called in adultery, go and sin no more, what did that mean? What does that mean to you? <laughs> when you read your Bible and you hear it say, go and sin no more, what do you think it means? When Jesus tells us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, what do you think he's talking about? When Jesus said statements like this, that the path of destruction is wide and many be on that path, but the path to the life is narrow and few there be that find it. What do you think he meant? When he asked, uh, when he told them, he said, many, many, not a few, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these good things? Did we not go on mission trips? Did we not go to the homeless shelter during Thanksgiving and Christmas and hand out free food? Did we not, uh, you know, pray for people on Facebook and share the lost child, you know, needing help? You know, did we, did we not do those things? And he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. What do we think Jesus meant by those statements? What do we think when we move from Jesus to the new to the writings of the disciples, starting with the book of Acts, and we see people like Ananias and Sapphira die in the church for lying, not just to men, but to the Holy Spirit? What do we think that means? When then Paul told them and Peter told them to repent of their sins, and live by the commands of Jesus. What do we think those things mean? So please, my friends, let's not pretend like there's some ambiguous nature to this. Sinners continue in sin because they have not been born again. Saints reject the lifestyle of sin because they can't go on sinning like that because they have been born again. Now, I'm not going to pull up the scripture quite yet. Just, you know, I guess you're stuck with my Polish-Italian smiling face, right? 
listen to what it says in the Bible, right? Like we're not making this up. This is not like what Joe said. This is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 is very clear on this distinction. Hear it in the words of the apostle. He said it like this. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. I just feel like talking slow today. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Okay, so is everybody by default God's child? No, we are all not by default God's child. Caleb, thanks for joining in today. Crystal, thank you for coming in. I don't see any questions here. I just see some shout outs. Thank you guys. Share if you care. Let's get the word out. And by the way, these become podcasts. If you like to listen to things as you do exercises, go to iTunes, look up Metro Praise International, or you can download our app with all of our sermons, Metro Praise International at the Google or Apple app stores. It's all for free. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything unclear about the things that I've been talking about? I mean, so where is the argument here? So let's go to the situation that, you know, brings me into the, uh, into the world of controversy. Me correcting a statement from a local church in this area that uses no scripture to tell us their stance on homosexuality confuses the very people in their church who are practicing it excuse me, like the lesbian on their comment feed, and then also confuses, confuses and upsets the other gay Christians in the community, quote unquote Christians, which I don't believe you can be no more, you can no more be a gay Christian than you can be a gay adulterer, than you can be a, uh, excuse me, than you can be a Christian adulterer, than you can be a Christian fornicator, than you can be a Christian sinner, okay? Saints are who we're called in the Bible, but anyways, so this thing that brings me into controversy now shouldn't even be controversial, folks. The stance of churches and homosexuality has been clearly known for 2,000 years. Why do we think we're so slick right now in this generation, like we're going to discover something and come up with something that they didn't know back then? I mean, I know technology changes, but does that really make them so stupid? I mean, look at this book right here, and I'm not trying to say people make things right. The word of God is true, whether we agree or not. But you see this book here, a dictionary of early Christian beliefs. You know, if you just look up what they believed after Jesus left, you know, the earth and sent the Holy Spirit down to be with us, when it came down to homosexuality, when it came down to all, all kinds of sexuality, what the Bible taught. It's not confusing when you look to the Bible for its answers, and it's not confusing what the people took from the Bible as their answers. And you can just go here to the section on homosexuality. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit pederastry. That's having sex with your children. That's in the Didache. So we would all agree with that, like sexuality should be restricted to not having sex with children, right? Well, they talked about that, right? And we shouldn't have sex with someone else's wife. That's good, right? Okay, but let's keep going. There's other things they say here. 
Some polluted themselves by lying with males. That's 125 AD, just within a few years of the last apostle dying. The, Bible, uh, the church fathers are applying the teaching saying, these people are defiling themselves when they're homosexuals, when they do this. My friends, that doesn't mean we don't love them. That doesn't mean we put them down and exalt that sin above another. They, just like myself, we, we put it all together. Sexuality is made for one man, one woman in marriage. Anything else is sinful. Christians should not live this way. If you call yourself a Christian, stop doing it now. And if you should sin as a Christian, repent now. Any confusion. You don't make up excuses to keep doing it. You don't try to stay a part of um, a false church that now gives you permission to do it. You follow the word of God. But let's just keep going, okay? Here are uh, them rebuking the Greeks of their times. Uh, the Greeks, O king, followed debased practices and in with, intercourse with males. So in the church history, they're preaching to the Greeks, they're preaching to the Romans, and here's one of the things they're saying is they defiled themselves, debased themselves when they had sex with other men. And of course, that would apply to other women, just like in Romans chapter 1, it says we don't have sex. Uh, God handed them over to sex that they shouldn't have with men, and the women did it as well. So, I mean, this is clear. There's nothing un unambiguous. There's nothing unclear about this. And they had sex with their mothers, their sisters, their daughters, etc. You continue on here. It says in 175 AD, they did not abstain even from males, males with males committing shocking abominations, outraging all the noblest and comeliness bodies in all sorts of ways. Is there any confusion? I mean, really? Okay. Now, another thing that nobody ever wants to talk about is church discipline. So if Christians are not supposed to continue sinning, and here, here's, by the way, if you don't have one, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I understand I go to school and I study and that's what I get to do. And I thank God for it. So I never want to be prideful about it. Right. But when you're commenting, when you're commenting on my posts, all my, my friends, and you don't even know the stance of what evangelicals or Christians have believed over the years and what our stances are, it just, it makes you look ridiculous. Would you at least Google search one of these books and get it on your iPad or your phone or something, you know, and just kind of read what we believe as Christians so you can know, like, where our Christian doctrines came from and what we believe today and why we believe it. Am I, am I saying it's true just because it says it's true? No, I believe it's true because it's the word of God being applied throughout the ages. So what is the foundation? The foundation is the word of God. And if I'm going to do this right in time, I'm going to put the word of God and then what our church fathers believe and then what the evangelical church believes. Amen. Screenshot this. Come on. Somebody screenshot this and help people on Facebook understand what we need to do as Christians. Oh, and let me put one here because a lot of times we forget what the Pentecostals believe, which is my branch of Christianity, which I definitely believe uh, expresses Christian faith the best way. Okay, so here's, here's how we do it, folks. Here's how we do it. Oh, there we go. There we go. Somebody screenshot it. There we go. It's the Bible. It's church history. 
It's the evangelical Protestant movement throughout the ages, and it's Pentecostalism. It's spirit-filled living, and these are really heavy right now, praise God. Um, any questions as I'm just getting a little carried away right now? I mean, sinners live in continual sin because they don't know Jesus. If someone claims to know Jesus and doesn't turn from their sins, we have to apply church discipline. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is not something that's really hard to understand. It's not something that we can just like reinterpret any way we want. It's something that was meant to be understood in that time, and it can be easily applied to this time. I wrote you in my letter, starting in verse 9, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world. It's very clear we are supposed to reach out to the sinners of this world who are immoral, and they are greedy, they're swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. It's clear we don't leave the world and go to monasteries. We reach the world, and the world is invited to our church. No argument there. But verse 11 is super clear. And it's like Caleb said, or one of Caleb's friends said, we get a strong yes with this, right? But now I am writing to you that you must not associate. Now, let me do a little screen share so I can show you the Greek word because somebody was bringing this up like, what does associate mean? Okay, can I show you what it means? Do not keep company. There's the King James. We touch on that word and the program that I have is really cool and it shows me what that Greek word is, okay? So, it's, of course, it has to work when I touch on it, and for some reason, it's not working right now. But let me go to uh, the New King James Version on this program, which is always fun. You guys know this. Anytime you're doing something with technology and people are watching you or people are around, it always seems to go awry. It doesn't work. Okay, and, of course, it's uh, still not coming up. So let's, let's make this a little bit easier here. Let's just go to the Greek Bible, and then we'll find the word, and then we'll go from there. So uh, here is the Greek Bible, and it's going to be all Greek to most of us here, right? Because most of us don't read Greek. So we'll go to the Greek Bible, and we'll see what, and look at what I'm having to do right now, really, right? Like, I'm having to go to this word and show people what does it mean when the translators translated it. And look at this, man. I cannot get any of my things to come up while I'm here. And when, if you guys ever need a Greek Bible, all you got to do is go to Blue Letter Bible and then put in that passage, and then it will show you in the Greek. So we'll go to it here in Blue Letter Bible so that you guys can see it in the Greek. And I have no idea. I'm going to shut down this program and uh, see if I can reopen it. And see the trouble I get into when I try to start going into these things. And that's what it's doing. It's not letting me uh, even shut it down because it's acting naughty. So let's go to Blue Letter Bible here. And let's see if we can look up this passage. What is the passage? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm having all kinds of trouble today. I guess I'm lagging on this right here. But you guys can do this if you're ever stuck like me and your program is not working. Now, of course, on my laptop that I have right here, it's going to work, but I can't show it to you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Oh, it's chapter 5, verse 11, not chapter 6. Let's go to it here. Let's look at the Greek word. Let's make sure everybody understands it. 
right? So there's no excuse here. There's no excuse to what the Bible means when it says we shall not keep company. We shall not associate with people who call themselves brothers in Christ. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have enough common sense to understand that words in the Bible mean things, and we're not supposed to be confused by them, okay? So here, here's how we figure it out. When I can't get my Greek Bible to work, which I can go online and do it. Go to Blue Letter Bible, put in your, your, your passage there, go to your tools, and now you can see it. And then when you highlight on it, you can see it. What does it mean to keep company? You guys want to see what that Greek word means, uh, to keep company? What it means is going to mean exactly what the translator sold it to mean. But let me make sure I, I, I click on it right here. Here we go. This is what the word means. It means to company, to keep company with, to mix together, to keep company with, be intimate with one. <laughs> Think about this for a second. To be present with. Oh, no, that's the, that's the, uh, the mood of it uh, in the Greek. To be present with, you know, but that also could mean it. But, you know, come on. Now, here's how it's used. In, in other places in the Bible, let's see what it says. If any man obey not our word by this ep epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Oh, my goodness. You mean by separating from people in their sin, a part of that purpose is actually for them to feel ashamed? Oh, yeah, that's actually part of it. Oh, but that's so mean, Pastor. That's so mean. My friends, we're so far from the Bible, we don't even know what the word company means. I have to take my time to do it, to show people in the Greek what it means. And then when I go and look it up, the Holy Spirit helps me by showing me another passage where it's used, and it says what it says. I mean, is there any confusion now over what we should be doing with people who call themselves Christians, but don't live as Christians. What's up, Vedim? Good to see you here. Anybody else? Melissa, good to see you here. Melissa, rather. Sorry if I mispronounced that. So any questions? I really want to take this slow so that everybody can hear this. Any questions? Is there anything not clear here? If you're a Christian, you sin, you repent. You don't continue in it. When you are a non-Christian, you make excuses for your sin and you continue in them. That's it. That's what people are doing. Should churches have church discipline? Yes. Let's go back to the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now that I got my Bible opened up here, it says, I am writing to you that you must not associate. What does it mean? Mix together with, mix together with, or hold company with. Anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. And so now that you can see that hopefully my Greek is working here. Uh, I will show you the word. What does it mean to keep company with? Uh, let's see here. Do not keep company. There it is. In the Greek, it means to mix together or to associate with. Anybody confused about what you're supposed to do here now? It, did you want me to look up the word expel? Do you want me to look up the word expelled? Let's, let's look up the word expelled just in case. 
We don't know what it means. Here is the word expel, to lift up, remove, carry away. That's what it means, to lift up, remove, carry away. Let me go here to the English one with the links on it so you can trust me that I'm actually touching the right words here. What does it mean to expel or put away? Here it is again. This is what it means. It means to remove, to take away, to lift up or to take away, to remove. Okay, let's put it right in here. Remove, lift up, take away the wicked person from among you. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians now, 3.13. Let's go to the one that just came up today as a Holy Ghost uh, confirmation. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Let's hear what it says. If any man, any person does not obey this epistle, the word by this epistle, note that man, point them out. They're not listening. That's not being a tattletale. That's doing what God told us to do. Point them out. They're not obeying it. Have no company with them. Have no company with them. That means you are not going to do this with them. You are not going to be mixed up together with them. You are not going to associate with them. For what purpose? That they may feel ashamed in order that they may feel ashamed. You want to know what that says in a modern translation of the Bible? Let's go to the New Living Translation of the Bible. Let's go to the New Living here it says, stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Let's, let's go to the message version of the Bible. Let's go to the message. Let's look this up. Second Thessalonians 3.13 message. Let's see what it says here. How many ways could he have said it to make it clear? Is there any excuses here? Here we go. Oh, excuse me. It's, uh, yeah, 3.13. No, it's 14. Okay, let's see here. We got to get 14 up here. Here it is. If anyone refuses to obey our clear command, clear, this is clear. Is it unclear to anybody in any of these books, whether starting with the Bible, is it unclear to anybody what is God's commands? Are these gray areas? The Bible clearly tells us, the Bible gives us commands about gray areas and tells us what they are. Gray areas are not your sexuality, sir. Gray areas are not what you do with your body parts. There's no gray area about that. It says, if anyone refuses to obey our clear commands written in this letter, do not let him get by with it point out such a person and refuse to subsidize his freeloading. Don't let people keep doing these things. Do not let people disobey from what is good. Because you go to the context, it's working and doing good things. It's working and doing good things. If you don't want to work and you don't want to do good things, you need to be called out. And if you don't stop doing the wrong, we're going to stop associating with you. How hard is that? Amen. So let me see. I see uh, Elaine coming back out with some more comments. Guys, is there any questions? Is, I mean, I know everybody here pretty much is getting it, but maybe I should ask like this. Is there any question? 
to what people are saying now online that I can answer while I'm here right now, because I, I don't know, man. I just feel like I got another comment on my Facebook and the guy was like, I don't know what, you know, associate here means in first Corinthians chapter five. And, you know, I just felt led to maybe make one more video, make it a little bit more clear uh, just to really like, you know, reach out to people. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to belittle people. It's just as a pastor. And I think many of you guys can sense this is that how can we call ourselves Christians and continue in sin and act like we don't know there's a difference between us and the world? You know, so Elaine, let me look at what you have here. Cohabitation among Christians is commonplace in many churches. They're allowed to flow from congregation like there's no problem. They say they're living together but not having sex. How do we handle that situation? Well, we handle it according to the word. That's why there's a place in the Bible that is called Matthew 18. And Matthew 18 actually teaches us how to come to people who are in sin and how to begin to share with them what they should do. Now, I want you to get this. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And the idea of dealing with sin in the church is not to take away the idea of Jesus loving us or forgiving us or being there to help us. Matthew 18, starting in verse... Um, I just lost my spot here. So give me just a moment. Matthew 18 starting in verse 15, and I'll put it up here on the screen so everybody can see it, is the way, it, or is the foundation, rather, for Paul having the, the sense to say what he said, being led of the Spirit. When he said in 1 Corinthians 5 to put them out, he's following Jesus's commands. If you, if you read Paul's letters and you're sensitive to Jesus's writings, you'll notice he makes allusions and references to Jesus's teachings all the time. And so his church discipline outline in 1 Corinthians 5 is in direct correlation here to what Jesus taught in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins. I mean, oh my goodness, man. Like help me, Jesus, be patient, right? Come on. We need patience. What is, <laughs> what is unclear about this? I don't, it's like either I cry or I laugh. If your brother or sister sins, they sin. You see them sin. You know they're in sin. They put up on their Facebook they're in sin. They talk about their sin. They post up under your church's Instagram, I'm a proud and engaged LGBTQ member. You know they're in sin. You go and point out their fault. Oh, well, you know, if you go to try to point out somebody's fall, you've got a plank in your eye. You have no business. Does it, does it say we end it there? No. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then go do the spec thing. You, you still do the spec thing, but you do it first without a plank in your eye. Read the context of that, please. So go and point out their fault. And what is that assuming? It's that you don't have the plank in your eye. You're not committing sins like them. God has delivered you. You are an example to them of God's grace and his transformative power. So you go and you point out their fault. Just between the two of you. You go to them privately. That's why I didn't address this woman by name 
from the people's post. I'm not calling them out by name. I don't know them. Now, there are times we have to warn and, and do those things, but I'm not going to pick on individuals here, right? So that's, that's between me going to her personally, or the pastor should be going to her personally, or the leadership. You go to them just between the two of you, and if they listen to you and they go, I get it, I'm not supposed to be an engaged member of the LGBTQ community. I'm not supposed to do that. And I want to be forgiven. And I know I'm wrong for that. Okay. They listen to you. You have won them over. You have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So when they don't listen to you, are you just supposed to stop and be like, well, uh, okay, let's just agree to disagree. You're, you're living like that, man. That's okay. No, you don't do that because they are a brother or a sister. They are required to live by this standard. And if they don't want to do it, you now have to get others involved. Now, if somebody goes, well, we all sin and we're all God. Are you continuing in your sin and not repenting? Because that's what this is talking about. The one who says it's not a sin. I don't think it's a sin and, and or I don't want to stop. You come to me after I've had a bad temper and you say to me, Joe, you just yelled. You shouldn't have did that. I'm going to say, you're right. I shouldn't have did that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to keep yelling and having a bad temper and making an excuse for my sin. God forbid. And if I have lust in my heart and, and, and I do that and the, and, and the Lord convicts me, or let's say somebody caught me with porn on my computers, I'm flipping around. You see something on there you're not supposed to see. I'm going to repent. The person who says that's either not a sin, this is not a sin. I don't agree with you. It's not a sin. Or they say, I will not stop the sin. You now have to bring along others. And then it's going to be established. And if they then refuse to listen to you, you now tell it to the church. This person has caused a mess. We went to them about their sin. They either denied that it was a sin. They tried to say, well, this ain't a sin in the Bible. They tried to say it wasn't a sin. Or they said, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing it. Then you tell it to the church and say, that's why so-and-so is not here anymore. And then, then if they, oh, excuse me, you tell it to the church and you go, Hey, man, we all need to pray for this person right now because they're not listening. And if they refuse to listen, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So you notice here now they go from being a brother or sister to a pagan or tax collector. Now, why is that important? Because I don't expect pagans and tax collectors to keep Jesus's commands. But I do expect my brother or sister. So if they don't listen to me individually, they don't listen to me with, with, my with their brothers and sisters around. And if they don't listen to the church, we put them out. And I know it doesn't say here that we don't put them out, but that's in another passage as we learned in 1 Corinthians. But it's, a sin, it's, it's, it's being implied here because now you're treating them not as a member of the church anymore. They're now a pagan, and pagans aren't in the church in that same sense anymore, and the, and the tax collector. Now, can they visit? Can they come in that sense? Yes, but you cannot consider them a brother. And if they're, as in Paul's saying, if they're causing division, you kick them out. So where is the confusion here? 
Where is the confusion? And then it talks about binding and loosing. And the binding and loosing is the authority we have of Christ, not only of principalities and spiritual places, but we have power in this world. Amen. Oh, I got to preach it. Any questions? I see some of you are just chilling with me today, but I hope that we can just stop and think this through for a little bit. What are we supposed to do as Christians? What, what, what's, I mean, I know it's all about love, but what did Jesus say love really looked like? It looked like obeying the commands, loving your neighbor as yourself, doing the things of God. And if we stop doing that, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Uh, if we stop doing that, if somebody stops doing that, rather, what are we supposed to do? Somebody's supposed to go to them, talk to them. And if they refuse to listen, we're supposed to have more meetings with them. And if they don't want to change, we're supposed to treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. And Paul even went so far to say, have them come out of the church. That's, that's pretty simple. Elaine has more to ask. Okay, let me go here to Elaine. What do you do if the leaders don't deal with sin and they let it go? I've been praying about the situation. I did address it with the couple. Okay, now this is simple, but it's not easy. Simple, but not easy. Just like losing weight, the idea is simple. Don't eat so much and work out, eat less, work out more, right? But it's hard. The, the solution here is simple. Leave the church. You do not have to stay in a church that does not address sin. And if you say, well, I keep leaving churches, I keep leaving churches, then you need to do that until you find a good one. And watch churches like ours, Metro Praise International Online, until you find a good church. Because you will be required on a judgment day to give an account for how you supported these churches, how you supported them. Okay, so this is serious for us. As Christians, we should not be in churches that don't do church discipline because we're giving people the impression that we're okay with how things are going here. And by the way, when we're saying amen, when we're saying things like that in church, we're giving our amen to what the preacher is saying. And that's accountable before God because the Bible says we're going to give an account for all the words that we've spoke. There will be no idle word that goes unnoticed on judgment day, right? We believe that as Christians. Well, guess what? You'll also be responsible for your time because if you're sitting there in that congregation, you're giving the impression to this person sitting next to you and this person sitting next to you that you're in agreement with them. And Amos chapter three, verse three says, how can two walk together unless they agree? How can you sit in that church unless you agree? Your disagreement may be internal, but nobody knows about it. They think you're in agreement. And so you just have to feel a peace to follow your convictions. I mean, that's what we have to do as Christians. And so I'm sorry to those who think that's too tough of an answer, but I want to be account. I want you to know that you're going to be accountable to Jesus. And so just think of it like this, just as the leadership is supposed to be uh, diligent and vigilant, have vigilante vigilance is vigilant a word. We are to be vigilant. Vigilant. Let's see if that's a word. Yes, it just sounded weird as I was saying it. We are supposed to be vigilant, which means watching and detecting danger and to be awake and alert. We are to be vigilant and we are to be diligent. We are to be vigilant and we are to be diligent. And the definition for diligent, as I pull it up right here, 
It's pretty obvious. We know what that means, but let's just put it up here. Diligent means, diligent means to take painstaking, excuse me, painstaking effort to be earnest, effective, and steady in what you do. So it may take painstaking effort to, to accomplish this, but you have to be diligent in this. You have to be vigilant in this. And churches need to unite. Thank you both for reminding me the word vigilant is actually a word. Thank you. Spelling and vocabulary is my weakness. Amen. So, you know, I have to be vigilant as the pastor to do this. And you have to be vigilant and diligent as a congregation, as a person to do this. So that was my point before I got lost in that word is that just as the leadership has to be vigilant and diligent, the congregation has to be vigilant and diligent. They, they can't keep tolerating it and the leadership can't keep tolerating. And guess what? When you got a church with people that won't tolerate it, the body of Christ is built up. And as my dad said before, there you see the power of God made manifested. The power of God will manifest in a holy church. That's why most of these churches, they're all spirit light now. You never see casting out of demons. You never see the healing of the sick. You never see the tongues with interpretation anymore. Many of these churches used to be assemblies of God or influenced by assemblies of God churches. And uh, you don't see that anymore in many of these churches. It's because they're so consumed with trying to be seeker sensitive that they're no longer Holy Spirit sensitive. They don't teach the holiness of the Bible. And by the way, I got this wonderful book here that I'll be using for one of my well, I'm doing my doctoral work on sanctification. That will be my doctoral thesis is on Christian perfection on the finished work of Jesus Christ. But uh, this is a great book right here that I just picked up. Christian Perfection and American Methodism. This was the preaching that developed the Bible Belt. This is the preaching that developed the cities in the colonial times and uh, really led to the abolition of slavery as well. These Methodist preachers were were fighting against slavery and allowing even full rights for women. And then I had another good one here um, that I wanted to show, The Holiness Pentecostal Tradition uh, by Vincent Sinan. Sinan, Sinan, and then this book is uh, by John Peters. Great books on explaining where our foundations came from. And this one especially ties it right into Pentecostalism. But uh, the Methodist came first, and then there was the holiness ones, and then the Pentecostal. So it's like Methodist, holiness, Pentecostal. You kind of get it both right there. And the idea was always among these groups of people was that God makes you holy to live holy. And that's where they got their one-liners from. You know, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's where uh, they began to come up with their songs and all of these powerful songs that they would sing. You listen to um, around this time, uh, after John Wesley, Salvation Army founder William Booth was deeply influenced by the holiness messages of the, Met the Methodists. And he wrote the book, uh, or he wrote the, the song, Consuming Fire. And I would just like to read that before we get some more questions here. Oh, God of all consuming fire. Oh, no, send your fire. It's not consuming in there, but let me make sure I got it. Send, I'm messing it up with consuming fire. Let's say, send the fire today. Now, this was written by William Booth, who was impacted by the holiness guys. Look at him here. He's a happy guy, isn't he? <laughs> Look at him. 
Oh, you guys can't see my screen. Let me show you what I see right now. And then uh, think about this song and the lyrics right here. This is William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army. Look how happy he is. He's a happy camper. He's a happy Gus. Uh, just kidding here. But let's read what it says. Thou Christ of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Send the fire. You think churches are singing like this anymore? Of course they're not, because this makes no sense to their worldview. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim. Send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost. Send the fire. God of Elijah, hear our cry, send the fire. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire. To burn up every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begin, send the fire. Tis fire we want, for fire we plead, send the fire. The fire will meet our every need, send the fire. For strength to ever do the right, for grace to conquer in the fight, for power to walk the world in white, send the fire. And this is my favorite part right here, because a lot of people know I preach on the streets and even just like yesterday, I was there and a guy started screaming at me and different things. And people forget it takes courage for me to do this as well. <laughs> so I like it when we sing this part right here. To make our weak hearts strong and brave, send the fire to live a dying world to save, send the fire. O see us on thy altar lay, our lives are all this very day. To crown the offering now we pray, send the fire. I mean, come on. But man, let's just be honest. We do not sing songs anywhere near that caliber anymore. Can I write a comment in your book? I don't know what book you're writing there. Let me just talk to you guys a little bit before we go here. I got a few more minutes, uh, 10 minutes to be exact. Uh, Melissa, can I write a comment in your book? What book are you writing, Melissa? Don't know what you're asking there. Maybe help me out, please. Thanks for joining us, by the way. Good to see Jacob, Jakub, or Jakub here. God bless you, my brother. I, I know most of you listening here, you get it, and then it'll go back to the comments where they don't get it, and then they don't listen to the videos we make, and they don't read our comments, and then I guess at some point, we just have to walk away with our, you know, wash our hands and go, okay, dude, I'm done arguing. I got plenty better things to do. I'm not going to shave my head with a cheese grater today. That's not fun, and I'm not going to debate you online, but it is good that we have this out here from time to time so people can go back and reference it. I have not become some judgmental Christian. I am simply teaching what the Bible teaches about sinners living, uh, saints living holy and sinners being commanded to repent. It's not hard to distinguish the difference. If you are a Christian living in sin, Hebrews 10, 26 says, if you continue like that, you should only expect judgment. Now, does that mean we're saved by our good works? No, we're saved by grace through faith. But if you continue in sin, you will harden your heart to the point of unbelief. That's what Hebrews chapter 2 teaches. 
that you will have skeleruo. You will have sclerosis of the heart in the Greek there. You will harden the heart because of sin and then be cut off. It's the same example of John chapter 15 in Romans chapter um, Romans chapter 11, where he talks about cutting off the branches. Branches are cut off because of unbelief, not abiding in the vine. John 15, Romans 11. So Ephesians 2, 8 says we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2 says we're workmanships created to do good works. So which one is it? Are we saved by grace or are we created to do good works? It's both. You're saved by grace to do good works. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Which one is it? Grace or is it truth? It's both grace and truth. The Bible says that saints sometimes sin and sometimes sinners do good things. Does that change their position? No. When I, as a saint, sin, I can be forgiven. God doesn't kick me out immediately. He deals with my heart and he wants me to ask for forgiveness. If I don't listen, I'm to be brought up on church discipline. That's what Matthew 18 says. If you see your brother or sister sin, go to them and deal with it. And then if they don't listen, you take it all the way down to the church. And if they don't listen there, you take them out and you treat them like a tax collector or a pagan like 1 Corinthians 5, okay? So if a Christian continues in sin, that's how you deal with it. That's called church discipline. Now, what happens to the sinner who does good? Does that make him a Christian now? No, doing good does not make you a Christian any more than me barking makes me a dog or flapping my wings make me a bird. I can never do enough to become a saint. I must repent and be born again. So when a Christian sins, they don't become a sinner. And when a sinner does something good, they don't become a saint. When Christians sin, they should repent and remain in holiness, living up to the standard they've been called. And when a sinner does something good or helpful, like the Bible says, even sinners know how to give food to their children, they ought to see that as conviction of God's goodness and be drawn to the Father of light from whom every good and perfect gift comes from. Okay, so there's two types of people in the world, sinners and saints. And when saints start sinning, they need to be corrected and rebuked. And when we see sinners wanting to do good and have a conscience towards that which is right, we lead them to Christ and tell them to cast off their sin. I mean, it is not hard. And saints can become sinners when they backslide, and sinners can become saints when they accept Christ, right? That's the teaching of John 15. You abide in Christ, you go from being a sinner to a saint. Now as a saint, you stop abiding in Christ, you get cut off. That's the teaching. So should we be afraid of being cut off at any time? No, we have confidence on the day of judgment, First John says, that we are saved, that we abide in him. We've been made perfect in love. You will remain perfect in love as long as you want to be in Jesus. As long as you have that desire, there's nothing that can separate you from him. No death, no devil, no demon, all those things of Romans chapter 8. But if you want to sin your way out, you can. God is not a divine kidnapper locking the door of salvation so you can't get out. Judas got out. Saul got out. Hymenius and Alexander got out and shipwrecked their faith, Paul told Timothy. And others can leave as well. And then backsliders can come back. You know, we don't know what happened to everybody in the Bible. Maybe some of them did come back and repent. I know I was once a Christian, became a backslider, and then came back. So the, the standard should be saints live holy and sinners know they're being convicted of their sin by the saints and that they will be, be punished for that. Okay, so uh, any questions here? Uh, she said, thank you for speaking directly to me the way you have. Amen. God bless you. It's just an encouraging, encouraging time for me and I love to encourage others. Uh, do you want to put the names of the book in the comments? Dad, you can go ahead and do that for me. Um, and I'll come back and do that after we're done. Maybe I can do it while I'm talking, but it's kind of hard to do both here. 
We have all of our books for free online, and anyone who wants to study these things, you can go ahead and do so from our website. 99 cents on Kindle, that was the least expensive they would let me do it. Uh, and then if you do like paperback, you can pick them up from the website, and we'll send them to you. We give church discounts. And uh, the book that I would recommend if you're really just wanting to know how to do church as a disciple and, and do the thing right, we have our book right here, um, Disciples. Uh, discipleship-based churches, and like I said, it's free online, and that teaches pastors and leaders how to do it, and uh, it's just, you know, not the only way, but just a way how we do it, it's an encouraging way, uh, and then we have the actual books that do the discipleship. The small one here, Welcome to Your New Life, is done one-on-one, -on -one, and it's, um, you know, just a book that we do with our people one-on-one -on -one so that they can learn the things of God. It talks about sanctification, living holy, putting all your sins on the cross, you know, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. And then this book right here is our leadership book. This is Disciples That Make Disciples. Uh, we usually take about, you know, two or three months going through this. Sometimes people in this for a couple of years because we don't pass them until they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then in the leadership, sometimes people are in there for a few years as well because we don't graduate them until they're humble, holy, teachable, and uh, ready to serve and do all that it takes, you know. And, of course, still being saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. But, you know, that that's what we do in our church. So it's kind of a trifecta right here. Uh, discipleship-based churches teaches the churches how to use these other books. And so if that can be a blessing to you, go ahead and pick them up for free. Download the PDFs from the website, and then you can use them. You can use them any way you want. All you have to do is just uh, reference us as a footnote. You can even put these in your own book. I even tell people, I have told them, that you can take the entire information here and put your church logo on front, your picture on back. Just put our information right here. Just say that uh, this information comes from Metro Praise International. They can redo the covering, and I'll get them in touch with the publisher so that they can put their own their own covers here. I don't even care. That, that this to me, this to me is is freely given to me by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you can use it any way you want. Also, our devotionals are broken down, as you can see with our books, into the 12-month series. And you could take any one of those series and you can use them as Bible studies. You can do them as life group studies. You can do whatever you want with our materials. They're all free online. Amen. God bless you, Jen. Good to see you. I got a question from you here. So that means you can lose your salvation if you don't abide in Jesus, correct? Exactly. Yes, you can lose your salvation if you don't abide in Jesus. I believe that's the clear point of John 15. Jesus says, if you do not abide in me, you'll be cut off and thrown out with the fire. That's, I don't know how else to take that. And then in Romans chapter 11, it says it very clearly. The Jews were in, they got cut off because of unbelief. The Gentiles come in now because of belief. But he said, uh, you know, don't get too cocky because if they went out, so can you. And guess what? If they, if you came in by faith, they can come back in by faith. So when you read these passages of the Bible, just read them at face value there's not too many mysteries of the New Testament that haven't already been revealed. I mean, other than the book of Revelation, I understand that. But I mean, the teachings are very clear. As we've already uh, looked at, like in the scriptures today, these are clear commands. These are clear commands that God gives us. And so uh, we're not here to make people feel bad about themselves. We're not here to judge other churches in that way and argue over gray issues, things that the Bible's not black and white on. You know, uh, but we are to have a standard of holiness the Bible is clear on. Is the Bible clear about what sexuality is? Yep. Is the Bible clear about drunkenness and, and not uh, losing your sober mind? Yep. Is the Bible clear about bitterness and unforgiveness and greed? 
All of those things. Yeah, it is. Is the Bible clear about slander and those things? Now, sometimes people like to bring up gluttony and things like that. Do you know that gluttony is only really mentioned in Proverbs, and it's just showing lack of discretion? There's no place in the Bible where it actually says gluttony is even a sin. So this idea that we're now going to take the most silliest thing and compare it to the most extreme thing, you know, like there's like this drag queen, bisexual person, whatever, and now they want to say, well, do you mess with the gluttonous pastor? You know, it's like, first of all, gluttony is not even mentioned as a sin, the seven deadly sins. That's, that's just a Roman Catholic tradition. It just says put a knife to your throat when you're given to gluttony, when you're at a guest house. Gluttony, overeating is a lack of discretion, a lack of self-discipline. People can maybe apply it to not treating their temple well or something, but it's not listed even as a clear sin. Overeating is not listed as a clear sin. Just to let you know. Uh, being controlled by things, not, not having self-control, yeah, that's, that's mentioned as a sin, but just wanted to be clear on that. Uh, it's not hard, like I said, to look at the sins of the Bible. You find the list. Paul wrote the list, okay, most of them. He got it from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, obviously, but they're, they're, they're clear. And so read those lists. Read Galatians chapter 5. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Read um, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, read these, these passages, and you shouldn't be confused. There's nothing confusion about it. Now, once again, now people say, well, uh, you know, we may disagree over Calvinism and, you know, gifts of the spirit and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And we're not supposed to separate over that. You don't see me rebuking a Calvinistic church, do you? You don't see me rebuking a church that doesn't let women preach or something. You know, you don't see me doing those kinds of things because church government and church structure can change. And people have different opinions on that. What I only pick on, it, it, it's like, don't, you know, don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff, is sin. Sin in the church. That's my issue. Okay, so I know I've gone a little bit over, but any other questions here? If I've missed any, please uh, put them up. Otherwise, let's close out in prayer. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that everyone here will be a saint. If they're a sinner, they will repent of their sins and be born again. And if they are saints who are sinning, Lord, they'll be convicted and brought to your truth and live in holiness so that, Lord, we may all be saints living according to your word, being blessed to be a blessing and all that we do, wherever we are, in Jesus' name, when everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. I'll try to answer the questions now as I close out. And remember, you can find us on iTunes with Metro Praise International or our app at the Google or Apple App Store. You can get these messages as well if you like to listen to them when you work out. God bless.